Ruth. Good morning, church. My name is Scott. I'm the pastor here, and it's really a joy to be with you as we continue this series. More on that in just a moment. It's been a, it's been a busy, uh, a great week, a hard week in the life of the church. Uh, a couple of memorials and just grieving with people, times of great joy. We worshiped uh, last Monday, just six days ago, as a whole church, and heard from author and pastor Daniel Hill about toppling the idol of racism in our country, and it was just a really powerful evening. Uh, last night, dozens and dozens of families from Bethany North, we gathered uh, in the Linwood pool to laugh and splash, and just thought, you know, isn't this life yesterday? He- heading from the memorial of an unborn baby as we were face down on our knees in lament, uh, to the joy of children splashing in the water. And our God can handle it all. Amen? He can handle it all. And so this morning, in just a moment, we're going to be talking about waking up and walking in our faith in such a way that causes a change. And super easy as we open up these sections of Romans to start to hear about behavior. And for some of us, we get reactionary. I believe that the Spirit of God is present this morning and wants to impact us all for His glory that the stuff we think about impacts us waking up and walking differently and being changed for his glory. Let me say a prayer and we'll begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, for these women and these men gathered here. We thank you for the proclamation of your word. We thank you for these words from Romans 13 written 2,000 years ago. Make them brand new again today, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, be present in this place. Allow us to be seen by you, to ask good questions in our heart of hearts, and to hear your spirit encouraging us to go deeper into this life, further into this call. Lord God, take my words and make them yours now. And all God's people said, amen. The way forward, uh, we're just week by week, going chapter by chapter. Next week, you'll hear from Pastor Richard. Uh, he'll be speaking to the whole church uh, about Romans 14 and kind of a new movement in Romans. If you're new or visiting, I'm just so glad you're here. We've been talking about Romans for some time, but it's been a really powerful series for our church. Romans is, is the letter of Christian theology that really explains the grace of God. Paul, the author, uh, is writing to a bunch of house churches in Rome, and he spends 11 chapters saying, saying, hey, don't miss it. You can't earn your way into this new family of faith, into the club. No, you've been grafted in by the grace of God. And then in chapter 12 and chapter 13, Paul says, now then, I've spoken to you about the way that you think, but like all of us know, what matters is both what we think and how we live. And so Romans 12 and Romans 13 are generally regarded as the ethics chapters, the behavior chapters, all of them held under this same umbrella of God's grace. It's preeminent throughout Romans. But Paul says, because this is true, may it impact our lives. Getting in the club. Uh, it reminded me, when I think about the club, uh, when Heather and I were newly married, we moved to Los Angeles, and we had friends, a few, that already lived there in Hollywood. Now, these were, these were good friends, they were old friends, they were wild friends, and they said, hey, we're going to welcome you to, to LA, we're going to go to a club, let's do it. 
We're like, hey, that sounds awesome. Like, we're new to town. Let's, you know, we had visions of getting in the club. Like, we could see, I could just, I could see myself there, the do-do-do-do-do-do, you know, and it's like, we're in the club, yeah, you know, and I, like, this is like, yeah, you know, I was just like, woo. We show up at my buddy's house. He's like, no, no, because before you get here, you have to get into the club. You have to go through here. Like every club in Hollywood, there's velvet or, or actual ropes, there's bouncers, there's radio pieces, and they're looking at you to see if you can get in their club, right? This isn't like they don't want to know your Myers-Briggs score or your Enneagram profile. They just want to know, are you cool enough to get in the club? So we show up at my buddy's house. He's like, uh-uh, not happening. So he, he dresses us up, and we like put on our, our club clothes. And the club was called Garden of Eden. Probably not a good one for Christians to go to. Club of Eden, Garden of Eden, not around anymore. Hollywood, not, you know, but like we did our best to to get in the club. My buddy looked at me, he's like, we got to do more, you know, so he, one of his friends called the club and got our names on the list. We were visitors from the Spanish national soccer team. So we show up, members of the Spanish national soccer team, dressed as cool as we could to get in the club. Well, we, you know, step to the line, the bouncer looks us up and down. I kind of stood in the back of the line. He's like, all right, you guys can come in. We get into the club, and though we're in, I, mean, I feel like a fraud. I mean, it's, it's the gear. It's the setting. At one point, we look over, and Hugh Hefner is actually in the club. And everyone's kind of, you know, I'm like, where are we right now? Like, we're in the club, but we don't belong here. We end up having a really good time with people we love. But oftentimes, as we segue to the text, This is how we framed up the Christian story. Wear the right clothes, believe the right beliefs, know the right folks, and you're in the club. But be careful, because if you don't feel like you believe, if you hit seasons of doubt or disbelief or or your gear changes, well, then I'm not sure we can have you in the club anymore. And when we look at a newer generation leaving the church, oftentimes it's because they're looking around, they say, I don't know if I fit in this club or not. Paul comes through the text today to say, wake up to reality that God has covered you and grafted you in to his family. And as we do, there's a new reality that we need to be clothed with him The clothes that we wear being an idiom for like the very basic part of your life that we can be clothed with Christ. One of my friends is a Young Life area director and I said, you know, will will kids get this? Like the whole clothing is like, man, kids get this more than us. Because like if you're at Shorewood or you're at Mount Lake Terrace or like your your gear is your club. Oh, you're in the, you're in the Sounders club or you're in the, you know, you're in the, the business club, or you're in the, you know, like, you're in the sport, like, we get this oftentimes in youth settings, because so often people are predetermined by their external outfits. And these words from Romans 13 are meant to remind us, because of the power of God, we have been grafted into this new family of faith. He's calling us to wake up to that reality, to walk out a new behavior shaped not by wanting to be in the club, but wanting to know more of the Father's love for us. And then the change that happens 
is we start to be clothed with Christ. It's a powerful word spoken in just a few verses of Romans 13. Our big idea this morning as we look at the end of 13 is, is we wanna wake and walk and change into all that God has for us in his family of faith. Put on Christ and experience the power and fullness of his spirit. And I wanna just, I wanna warn you and I wanna encourage you, be present to what the spirit of God wants to say to you this morning. Already in the first service, we've had people encountering hard parts of their story and waking up to what Jesus wants to do in their life. Let's begin, first point of our outline is just the simple word of wakefulness. In the first two verses, I'll preach of Romans 13, 11, and 12, to wake up to the reality that exists. Look at verses 11 and 12 of 13, and do this, Paul's talking contextually about love, Romans 8, 9, uh, Romans, uh, yeah, 8, 9, and 10, Pastor will preached on last week about living a life of love, love is the point, more than the earthly authorities over us. Paul says, do all this understanding the present time. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. The hour already has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul is mixing metaphors. We have two primary metaphors about day and night. It's a literary device used throughout the scriptures. Uh, Night being a time of evilness and, and departure from God. Day being all the fullness of the light, the newness of the spirit. Paul says it, we're, we're near than when we first believed and we're almost there. And then he says, take off the old deeds and put on the armor of light. Two major metaphors, both of them kind of to lift up this waking up to a new reality. Now, I want you to dig in here in verse 11. He says, understand the present time. Now, for us, we see time, we just have one English word for it. This is where English can be limited because in the Greek, there was two primary words for time. The first was chronos time, which we get chronological or sequential time, the time that's actual, you can be measured on your watch or your phone, the time that's being lived out in our lives. That's the chronos time. But it's not actually the word Paul used here. He says, there's such a thing as kairos time. And what kairos is, it's a way in which time is measured for impact and significance. It's not chronological time to be measured in a clock. It's a moment of opportunity. It's a moment of awareness. So being a person of faith, says Paul, is to understand the time in which we live in. Understand the time in which God has given us. This is the moment where, where Paul would be whispering over the disciples in Rome and he's doing the, the Dead Poet Society moment of, of Robin Williams, the seize the day boys moment. Remember the scene? They're looking at the old pictures. And he's saying, you know, seize the day, boys. Seize it. Life is unfolding in moments that can be measured by the the watches on your wrists. But bigger than that, there are these kairos moments, these in-breaking moments where the Spirit of God wants you to be aware of the significance of what you've already been given. Now, this is a this is a sermon series in a lot of ways, because if you're like me, we, we live inside a clock right now. We're so defined by time. People would rather give you $100 in Seattle than an hour of their time. And so when we're aware of the Kairos moments, when we're aware of a child that needs a moment of affection to build intimacy, when we're just aware of the pain of somebody sitting around us in church, these are Kairos moments. Now, this, this moves me a great deal because what's interesting is many of us in the room were convinced that we're going at life alone. Many of us are like, but nobody gets it. 
You know, these people on my left, these people on the right, people before me, behind me, like their story's different than mine, but people don't understand. And this can lead to a feeling of loneliness. And so the the prevailing sense of loneliness that impacts the church is overwhelming to me. And I've been saying to Heather all week, if people could just see each other, if they could see these Kairos moments that, 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 that though our stories are so different, we're all doing the best that we can, hoping to grow into the fullness of the power of God, we won't feel so alone. It's amazing what happens when we can just see each other. These are the Kairos moments. Paul says, be aware with the time in which you've been given. Now, he'll echo the same theme in Ephesians 5. Listen to this, and you can read along with me, verses 13 through 16 in Ephesians 5. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that's illuminated becomes a light. I'll be back to that later. That's why it said, Paul says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Now, this is what's cool when you dig into the text. This is when we talk about clothing yourself in Christ, one practical way of that is just to read the Bible. Because when you read the Bible and dig into it, you start to see patterns. I was talking to you about Romans and Kairos time and understanding the time in which we've been given. It's not the Kronos time, but can we pull that slide back up real quick? Because I want to highlight one thing in, in this piece of Ephesians. Different text, but making the most of every opportunity, that word opportunity, it's, it's the same word, Kairos. It's an opportunity here in Ephesians. It, it's time in Romans. It's the same thing. All you have is the time that God has given you right now. You can't go back to how things were. And, and, and though we want to see how the road unfolds in this relationship, with this child, with a friend, with school, with job, we, we so just want to get down around the corner. What we have is the Kairos moments we live in. And Paul is saying, wake up to the opportunity God has already given you. The light of Christ will shine on you. It shine on you. There's an invitation at the end of Romans 13 of awareness, of making the most of every opportunity. Uh, parents of little ones in the room will be just pleased to know the researchers say, you know, the average preschooler will make three requests every minute. Right? That's pretty consistent. And what's really encouraging is to build attachment with the said child. You need to only be aware to a piece of all those requests. You're never going to do it perfectly. But if you go into the day clothed in Christ, Jesus, help me wake up to the opportunity with this child, with a boss, with, with a roommate, with a spouse. Wake up. Because our days matter. Jesus would talk about this really powerfully in Matthew 25, the the parable of the virgins of the oil. And I won't dig totally into it. You can read it on your own. But it's interesting in Matthew to kind of trace the chronos of Jesus' three-year ministry because Matthew 25 is his last teachings before 26, the garden, last supper, the whole deal. So these stories to me carry extra weight because Jesus is aware of the kairos. He's aware of like the opportunity that it's like right down to the edge. And so he tells some specific stories about investing with their life and making the most of their time. So he tells this bizarre story about the, the, the 10, you know, virgins that have, you know, that are waiting for the bridegroom. 
And some don't have oil and some do and some prepare for the bridegroom and some don't. And so when the bridegroom comes, the ones that are unprepared run out to get oil for their lamps. They're in the night and the bridegroom's coming. They want to be ready, but it's too late. They didn't make the most of their time. They didn't wake up. And they go out and they, they come back and they knock. And the five that were ready and that were woke and, and uh, ready to meet with the, the bridegroom, they're inside the room with the one they've been waiting for. Later, verse 11, the others came, Lord, Lord, we're back. We got the oil. We know we weren't woke before, but we're now, we're, we're looking for a second chance. And you're expecting, because the scriptures are full of grace and mercy and love, you're expecting Jesus to swing open the door, come in. But we can miss life when we're not awake. Open the door, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. And he said, truly, I tell you, I don't even know you. So therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. I was talking with Raul between services, and he's like, this is just like the garden, that Jesus you know, brings his best friends to just, just pray with him through the night, and they fall asleep. And he says, couldn't you even stay awake for one hour? We're called to be awake to, to the time that we've been given, to the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to this growing awareness of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so a question I'll ask you is, what is the situation in your life God is asking you to wake up into? What is the situation in your life right now today God is asking you, wake up? We talked at Monday at length about race in America and author pastor Daniel Hill said, you know, racism is just like this dragon that's been just wreaking havoc in America for 300 years, and we're called to be slaying the dragon. But he says the primary way is to, to wake up. The race is an issue dividing the people of God against each other. What is God asking you to wake up into? Because some naps, church, can cost you your whole life. Sometimes you can fall asleep and you can lose your life. You can fall asleep and lose your marriage. You can fall asleep and lose your hopefulness or a child. And we're called to be awake to the deeper realities that we are in a war for our very hopefulness. I learned this firsthand when I was um, in college. I had taken a big trip with my brother. We had a Jan term, and so we could study abroad and travel, and I'd saved up money and extra credits in the fall to take a big trip with my brother, and I'd flown home and and uh, I was coming back from Portland to eastern Washington, and it was, it was the night. I was jet-lagged. I got an hour outside Portland. I was already falling asleep. And, you know, tried all the tricks, windows down, music, stop eating a meal, you know, drink, the whole thing. I get, I get outside Ritzville. It's now the middle of the night. I'm trying to get back for class, and I just can't stay awake. And there's wheat fields everywhere. I'm like driving through middle of nowhere, Ritzville, nothing to like take my mind off the, off the road. And I see the road sign and I'm traveling 70 miles an hour without my seatbelt on and I wake up in the ditch. I'd driven off the road. I, I turn quickly. The, the car starts to flip and roll and after three rolls, I got thrown out of the vehicle with just a couple of bones broken in my back but it could have been way, way worse. The car continued to roll the state trooper later said, son, had you stayed in that vehicle, you would have lost your life. The roof pushed flat to the bench seat. There's no way to live unless you believe 
Your life has meaning now. I believe my life was spared for a purpose. Because some naps can cost you your whole life. I don't know where God is speaking to you right now, but I'm trusting there's situations and relationships and places where you've been drifting. And the Spirit of God is saying, be woke. Wake up. Don't miss the time that you've been given, these kairos moments. Let's look at the second part of our outline, that we're called to wake and then to walk. And to really teach this, look at verse 13. Let us behave, the NIV. I, I teach out of the NIV because many of you carry it. It's not the best necessarily. But they've got it wrong here. I don't love this behave word. Because for many of us, again, the church, it's all about behavior. It's all about wearing the right clothes to get into the club. And you get into the club, you're like, I'm not even sure I believe or I belong here. And I'm not even sure I'm worthy to enter the club. We've made it about behavior. So what Paul's saying here, and it's tricky for a church that's kind of rebounding back from behavior previous decades, and now it's kind of all grace and grace alone, but I need you to stay with me here. 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather, well, I'll come back to rather in Christ. So, so he says, let us behave decently here. And to translate that word, what they've done here with this walking around, the, the actual original word in, that we've translated as behave, and maybe your text has it different, but it's the word peripateo. And peripateo, you can translate as behavior, but a better way to translate peripateo is, is to walk, is to tread all around, is to, to live in such a way, to be occupied by something that carries you forth, to follow, to go. And so the text says, like, be woke, and, and then let us, let us walk out our new faith in a powerful way. Like, walk this way, walk. And so, yeah, Paul's talking about behavior, and he kind of calls out four specific behavior. He talks about drunkenness and sexual immorality, because for a lot of us in the room, those two places have really destroyed our walk. The stuff that we're consuming and the stuff that we're part of with our flesh can really destroy our walk. And so Paul's saying, your salvation, if you're saved in faith, is secure, but your walk can be really damaged by your behavior. So walk differently. And then when we were like, okay, if I wasn't drunk last night, sexually immoral, ah, I'm good right now, he calls out two other sins that Richard's really going to teach towards next week about divisiveness and about jealousy. And, and notice there's no ranking. It's not like if you're, if you're drunk or sexually immoral, it's a little bit better than being jealous. Being jealous can steal your walk as much as sexual immorality because you're not trusting the moments God's given you. You're not grateful for the kairos in your, in your life. You're living someone else's story or being divisive. You're missing the opportunity to come around commonalities in Christ over disagreements, and it's dangerous, says Paul. So he says, walk in such a way that lives will be changed. And we think about what Jesus says in John eight twelve. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In essence, Jesus is saying, if you believe, then walk differently. Matthew 10, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim about the housetops, speak differently. If you've encountered me, walk differently. If, if, if I've meant anything to you, speak differently. Our behavior matters. Our salvation can be secure, but we can, we can fall asleep and miss so much in walking out our faith differently. 
So walk, because this is where your faith will be forged. <laughs> don't, don't miss the opportunity to grow into more and more and more of faithfulness. Why, why, do, we, why do we forget and why do we behave in such ways? Like nobody sets out to be, I'm going to be uh, sexually licentiousness today. No, I mean, it's like, no, we're just doing the best we can, but it's so easy to forget whose we are. And so we start to, to, to put on different things to have, you know, different, I'm, I'm going to clothe myself in work. I'm going to be all about work. I'm going to be all about leisure. I'm going to, you know, we're, we're trying on these different identities, trying to remember who we are. And Jesus says, re- remember whose you are, your mind. And walk in such a way where you won't forget. Because there is, there is this, when you forget whose you are, you, you miss the opportunity to walk differently. And, 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 and I was thinking and praying about this morning, and kind of a mentor figure texted me, and it was such good news. He's like, remember Isaiah 54. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you, for them, will not be shaken for my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. you you've been ushered into the club. You, you didn't earn your way into this new club of faith. It's all a gift. And so wake up to the time you've been given and walk differently, for there is a battle at hand for your very peace, for your joy, for your faith. Listen, listen to what Isaiah says here. No weapon forged against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. And I love that. No weapon forged against me will prevail. I am in the spirit of God covered by his grace and power. As I wake up to that, I'm walking in such a way where I'm saying, enemy, you can't prevail against me. Now, weapons forged. I'm not a big forger myself. I've not forged a lot of weapons. But what that speaks to me about, that's like a process. And a weapon forged against me isn't like somebody just taking a stick and whack. I mean, no, it's like somebody is out for my spirit. Somebody is out for my joy. And they know my weaknesses because we all carry them. And so the enemy is forging weapons trying to steal my hope. The enemy is forging weapons trying to divide my relationships. The enemy is forging weapons trying to steal peace in my home. So if we're not naming and proclaiming, if we're not trying to walk in such a way, we're saying, get away from me, Satan. No, today is more about Jesus in my life than we're walking blind. There is a war for your very peace and your joy and your spirit being waged. So in God... We, we have the, the confidence that the weapons will not prevail, but how easy it is to forget. And we keep trying on these different identities. And this morning, Paul's reminding you, as a follower of Jesus, a man or woman, if you're in Christ, you're, you're covered. So walk differently. Which parts of your faith walk is God asking you to walk differently? What parts of your faith walk is God asking you to walk differently? He says, you're in the club now walk it out. Like this is the way that you'll live out your faith as you walk differently. Because the walk will require changing. That's it. The walk requires changing. We take Fridays off as a family and we were back and forth uh, a couple Fridays ago. Are we going to walk downtown or like along the waterfront? Are we going to walk on the Meadowdale Beach Hike? So I'm like, oh, we're doing Meadowdale Beach Hike. Put on my grubby beach clothes, you know, because we're going to go get dirty and stuff. Then I come back downstairs. No, no, we're going to walk downtown Edmonds. So I go back upstairs, change like my downtown Edmonds clothes because they're so different than the Meadowdale Beach Hike clothes, right? I'm such an icon of fashion. If I'm in Edmonds, man, I'm, woo, 
you know, but change. No, no, we're going to go. We are. We're like back and forth and back and forth. You know, it's like finally, we're like, we go to the beach. And I just was thinking about that because I'm dressed for the walk. We get down to the beach and we're, we're just aware of all of God's Kairos moments. Yeah, the hike is full of all sorts of other craziness, but little moments of beauty with the spirit breaking in. So wake and walk. And ultimately, the text says, this is where the change comes from. Look at, look at verse 14. We talk about the change. And we don't often say, I'm going to go get clothed. We say, I got to go get changed. Look at what he says. Rather, clothe yourselves with Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul acknowledges there's a battle going on for the flesh and the spirit. He says, you know, don't, don't give in to these evil behaviors, but you know, clothe yourself in Christ. And so, yes, we're, we're called to be taking off the old behaviors, but just, just old behaviors alone is behavior management. We've tried it. It doesn't work. Just try to sin less. Like, here's the essence. Just everyone go and sin less. Thank you, Scott, for that deeply inspirational message. I'm changed by the power of God. I didn't know that till today, that if I just sinned less, that God would be more for me. Like, minds have been blown today. No, Paul says, like, yeah, take off the old behaviors because the behavior will impact your walk, but put on Christ. You can have lots of different roles in your life, but only one identity. Whose are you? Who do you belong to? To put on Christ. Earlier he says, like, put on the armor of light, and then he's like, you know, bigger than that. Just put on Jesus himself. Because as you put on Jesus himself, that this is the discipleship moment, that we're baptized into Christ, we've put on Christ. Look at Colossians 3, verses 5 through 10. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Like, these behaviors will steal your joy. They will make you walk in such a way that you're wasting the wakeful moments. So Paul's like, be warned. Don't walk that way. Because of these, verse 6, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, the old walk, in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on your new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. And so the life in which we're called to, this be changed moment, isn't just like don't do bad stuff. It's a matter of putting on Christ, appropriating God's reminder, this is who I've made you to be. This is your calling. Be reminded, this is who you are. Don't forget, this is how I've made you. Remind and reappropriate again and again and again. And Paul is saying your salvation can be secure, but you can waste so many steps if you're not being changed. And how do we be changed is we're putting on Christ. I know for some of you, are like, that's a bit metaphorical. How do I put on Christ? Well, in the same way that you put on a jacket, you open your scriptures, you practice confession, you listen to something uplifting. You need inputs in your life of more of Jesus. And this is why the gathered church matters. We should come hungry to church, so ready for the Spirit of God to shake things up. Put on Christ and know that that's where the change comes from. 
Now, remember earlier I read Ephesians 5. It's really, really incredible. I, I want to pull back up in just a moment because we're moving towards Christ. And as we're moving towards Christ, Paul says, he'll say this in chapter 14, we can have more grace for people that are in different places for us because we're about the center, not the boundaries. We're more and more and more about Jesus. And as we're mindful of our own behavior, it's like, okay, Scott, I'm for this. Like, you know, say that. Like, take off the old, put on the new. I'm in. But what happens when I fail? What happens when life gets hard? What happens when I get discouraged? There's this amazing thing in Ephesians 5 that our very darkness, as we bring it to Christ, becomes light. Now, we read the end of it, but let's read it again. Ephesians 5, 13. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Now, that's an incredible verse. Because this means that the work of the Christian is about exposing and bringing stuff that's maybe our old behaviors, but exposing and being open to walking different and and waking up and not saying, oh, I'm going to cover up and pretend I'm not one of those sinners like the rest of these humans. No, no. The work of the Christian is to be exposing. And the light, when it becomes visible, everything that's illuminated becomes light. Amazing. Don't miss Romans or Ephesians 5. That the stuff in us that's still of the night, as we bring it to Christ, Christ will transform it and make it light itself. This is how the church becomes the church. Because we're not just like dressing fancy and be like, man, I'm in the club, we're all good. We're, we're doing this work of waking and walking and changing together and saying there's this piece of my old story that's still plaguing me. But as we tell the truth to one another then then that darkness can become light, then our pain can become hope, then our hurt can be places and opportunities for the Spirit of God to come in. We have to tell each other the truth. We have to see each other. We have to sit with each other. It so wrecks me, the amount of loneliness present in the church where everyone else is just looking at the stuff we wear and you're saying, but there's this piece of me that's hard to wake up to or I'm struggling in my walk, or I'm really, I'm having trouble changing. And then I can say, me too. And we'll just tell the truth to each other for a bit. And then the darkness becomes light together. You see it? Last week, Pastor Ruel talked about stones. And as you came in this morning, there's a pile of stones by the entryway. And it was a very moving service because the kids were involved And then everyone was given a stone, if you weren't here, and then everyone at the end was called to walk out and and build a mountain together. Because oftentimes, all we can contribute is just the little piece of of my stone, of of my life, of a little bit of change. If this thing was dark, and now I'm bringing it to the light, and I'm I'm waking, and I'm walking, and I'm changing, It it just feels like a tiny little stone. It reminded me of this powerful testimony from Henry David Thoreau, one of the American transcendentalists. And I love it. He has this quote. He says, to be awake is to be alive. And Thoreau is, you know, all about like the human power and kind of waking up. He built a little cabin by Walden Pond. And when he died, his best friends who lived in Concord, they took stones from their garden as a way to mark the man's life, simple stones, and walked out to his cabin at Walden Pond and left a stone. It was profoundly moving to me when I visited Walden some years ago to see one little stone has become at Walden, it's become a mountain, stone by stone by stone. 
Because each stone is a person's life impacted. And each person impacted gets to go and make more stones. This is, well, we want to change. It's God, I want to change. I want to walk different. I want to be woke. God often just gives you today the Kairos moment. And says, what's the tiny little stone you can bring from darkness into light? And that, as the church, when we start to contribute our stones, is where we can testify of God's great power. I was an English teacher in L.A., and it was when I told the story of Walden, I said to the kids, I said, hey, when I leave, I don't want a thank you note. I certainly don't want a party. I'd like you just to bring me a stone if your life was impacted by mine. Because at the end of the day, that's all we want, is to know that we have impacted the next generation. And on my final day, before Heather and I moved to Seattle, the kids in my American Lit class, they stood up one by one by one, and they brought me stones. This is one of my, actually my prized possession. One of them, I, it's a stone a 17-year-old girl has brought me. Trust thyself, it says, every heart vibrates that iron string. All we have is the time that we've been given. All we have is the life we're already living. Wake up. Don't miss it. And walk in such a way that you're impacting others. And that's where the change happens. Stone by stone by stone. Some day, many days from now, I'll leave this place. Maybe I'll be an old man. And we'll do life together for many decades. I don't know. But when I go, bring me a stone. May you be moving mountains in your life. May you be so full of the Spirit of God that your faith feels real to you. May you be waking up to that reality that God isn't a theory. He lives in you. May that influence your walk and may you put on Christ tomorrow morning to head into your life knowing you're not alone. Would you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, thank you for these moments. We commit them all for your glory. They're all for your glory, stone by stone by stone. Thank you for what you did last week through this community and through Raul's teaching and the reminder. And Lord, we just circle back today to say we want to be a church like that, moving mountains, the mountains of race in our culture. We want, to, we want to move mountains and help every skin tone in our society know they're loved by God. We want to tear down structures that are stealing their joy and, and their humanity. Lord God, we want to be moving away from places of sexual immorality and drunkenness and envy and jealousy and strife and lack of unity and move us, God, places of darkness becoming things of the light. Make us stone movers, God. We ask and pray. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me as we receive now communion? And communion is our chance to say, you know what? It all sounds good, Scott. Love the speech. Can't do the work. I'm just not powerful enough. You don't have to be because it's about God's power in you. Put on his power. Put on his glory. Put on his hopefulness. And so when we celebrate communion, we come on purpose empty-handed. We are the empty-handed ones in the club for his glory. And so we come to this table empty-handed to be served the very place of strength, the person of Jesus Christ. And so today, we'll have communion stations in the side and down front, and we're going to do it a little bit differently. We have gluten-free bread, and this morning, you'll be served the body of Christ because you can't earn any of it. You can't even reach for it. 
I want you to open up your hands and receive because it's all a gift. His love, his grace, his spirit. Can you feel it even now? It's a gift. Not the life to which you aspire to, not the past in which you run from, the moment that you've been given right now in this moment. Can you feel it? It's a gift. So we'll come to the sides of the front with hands open and our communion service will put the gluten-free bread in our hands as a gift. This is the body of Christ broken for us, sinners saved by grace. Oh, what a gift. And then you'll take and dip in the juice, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you for entrance into his club. Wear that. You belong here. You belong to him. Let me pray over our elements and we'll close in song. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body and your blood. Thank you for this bread and juice. May you give us, the church, a hunger to feed on you. Give us the desire to put you on every day, to arm ourselves of the weapons trying to steal our very faith. Make us a church, Lord Jesus, moving mountains for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Communion stations on the side and front will move clockwise. Come and receive communion as you're...